All right, well, go ahead. It is now 6 o'clock. This is uh, Jody Meyer, Chair of the Historic Resources Commission, and we will go ahead and call to order the Thursday, April 20th, 2023 meeting. Um, Avery, would you like to give the preliminary information? Yes, thank you, Chair. Good evening, and welcome to the April 20th Historic Resources Commission meeting. My name is Avery Kerner, and with me is Lambradic Zollner, the Historic Resources Administrator. Together, we will work alongside the Chair to facilitate the meeting proceedings tonight. Before we, for, before we begin, I have just a few reminders for everyone. Tonight's meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the City's YouTube channel and Cable Channel 25. When you are not actively speaking, please remember to mute yourself to help minimize distractions. When the Chair calls for public comment on an item, those attending in person may approach the podium to speak. Participants attending via Zoom who would like to provide public comment should use the raise your hand feature to be called on. We also ask that everyone state their name before they speak to ensure that everyone is able to follow along. And with that, I'll turn the meeting back over to the chair. Thank you. This is Chair Meyer again. Um, one order of business. I do want to welcome um, our newest commissioner, Will Haynes. So uh, we do now have all seven spots filled on the HRC. Um, we'll go ahead and do a roll call vote tonight. Commissioner Haynes. You just say present. Present. Uh, Commissioner Johnson. Present. Uh, Commissioner Ezell. Commissioner Ezell here. Commissioner Klein. Present. Commissioner Coleman. Present. Commissioner Holly. Present. All right. So we have seven members this evening. Um, we will go ahead and start with the first item on our agenda this evening, uh, which is uh, communications. Have we received communications from other commissions, the State Historic Preservation Officer, uh, or the general public? You have two communications from the State Historic Preservation Office. One is the National Register nomination for the Vinland Fair Association Fairgrounds, and one is for the National Register nomination for the Barnes Farmstead. I hope you had a chance to read these. There's some really good history in both nominations. These are in the county, so technically they don't um, require any action by you, but as a certified local government, um, you do have the opportunity to comment. In the past, uh, the Historic Resources Commission has directed staff to send a letter of support if they feel like the nominations are worthy of recognition. This is Chair Meyer, thank you. Um, is there any public comment on either one of these nominations? This is Avery Kerner planning staff. It doesn't look like there's any public comment via Zoom. Thank you. This is Chair Meyer again. Um, Lynn, I did just have a question. Um, the letters that the Historical Society sent um, indicated something about a supplemental checklist and they want a recommendation from us? Right. They, they don't uh, have to have one, but you can recommend or not. That's up to the commission whether or not you want to. Okay. Um, if I may? Yes, go ahead. I would love to recommend, um, make a motion to recommend both of these um, applications, uh, the first being for the Vinland Fair Association uh, Fairgrounds and the second for the Barnes Hoskinson's Farmstead in Vinland. I think both are quite worthy and long overdue. 
So you're making a motion that we uh, send a letter of support for letter both of projects? Yes, send a letter of support to uh, the State Historic Preservation Office. Okay, is there a second? Seconded. There's been a motion and a second, so we'll take a roll call vote. Uh, Commissioner Johnson? Commissioner Johnson, yes. Uh, Commissioner Ezell? Commissioner Ezell, yes. Commissioner Klein? Yes. Commissioner Coleman? Aye. Commissioner Hawley? Aye. Commissioner Haynes? Yes. And Commissioner Meyer is an aye, so that carries. Lynn, will you do that, or do you want to prepare that and have me sign it as the chair? I will prepare it and have you sign it as the chair. Okay. Thank you. <clears throat> um, next item on the agenda is disclosure of ex parte communications um, I of agenda items this evening. Um, I will say I inadvertently had an ex parte conversation regarding um, the item under miscellaneous items, the special use permit for uh, the group home on New Hampshire Street, I did speak with Ron Schneider, local attorney, uh, briefly, as in three minutes about it. I was not aware that he was um, representing the people trying to get the, <laughs> the group home through there. Um, so I just wanted to disclose I had talked to him about that. So any other ex parte communication disclosures this evening? I don't see any. Okay. Um, is there a declaration of abstentions for specific agenda items by commissioners this evening? All right, I don't see any. Um, and then do we have any committee reports this evening? Lynn Braddock-Zollner, Historic Resources Administrator. We have no committee reports this evening. Mrs. Chairmeyer, thank you. We'll then move on to our consent agenda. Um, we have some administrative approvals that are listed in the agenda item, um, several of those, so to speak. Uh, is there any public comment on the design review applications that have been administratively reviewed and approved? Um, I still have access to an agenda right now. Um, I'm here about the, the memorial for um, Sis Benninger, so I'm, I'm here to make comment on that later whenever it comes up. Okay, we're not, Sorry. no, you're fine. We're just, we're not quite there yet. Okay. This is Avery Kerner, planning staff. It does not look like we have any um, public comment on the administrative approvals via Zoom. This is Chair Meyer, then we'll bring it back to the commission for discussion or a motion regarding the design review applications. <clears throat> Um, this is Commissioner Johnson. I, I move to confirm the attached design review applications according to the standards and information listed in the staff report for each application. Mrs. Chair Meyer, is there a second? Uh, Klein, Commissioner Klein seconds. Mrs. Chair Meyer, there's been a motion and a second. We'll take a roll call vote. Commissioner Johnson? Commissioner Johnson, yes. Commissioner Ezell? Commissioner Ezell, aye. Commissioner Klein? Aye. Commissioner Coleman? Aye. Commissioner Hawley? Aye. Commissioner Haynes? Aye. And Commissioner Meyer is an aye, so that motion carries 7-0. The <coughs> um, next item on the agenda is our general public comment. Any public comment that's not specifically regarding an item on our agenda? Is there any general public comment? 
doesn't appear to be in person anyway. Doesn't look like there's anyone virtually providing comment either. Okay then, uh, Mr. Chairmeyer again, then we will move on to our public hearing items. Um, the first item on the agenda is the Margaret Vinegar Historic Marker. Lynn Braddock Zollner, Historic Resources Administrator. This is an application brought forward by Carrie Altenburn for, um, on behalf of the Lawrence Douglas County Community <coughs> Remembrance Project Coalition. It's a marker that's provided by the Equal Justice Initiative. It's a companion marker to one that was installed right here at City Hall um, earlier, and they are associated with the lynchings that took place and I will let Carrie go into a little bit of history on that. The marker has been fabricated, but it went before the marker committee and they approved the marker and found the installation would be over um, by Watson Park, adjacent to the right of way at Watson Park at 8th Street and Kentucky Street. And I'll let Carrie tell you a little bit more about the project. Mr. Chairmeyer, go ahead, Carrie. Uh, Carrie Altenburn, uh, Lawrence Douglas County Community Remembrance Project Coalition. The, uh, the marker for Margaret Vinegar grew out of the uh, work for the, uh, to get the marker for the, uh, the three men that were lynched on June 10, 1882. Uh, in their research, uh, exhaustive research uh, that uh, the Equal Justice Initiative does before they uh, approve markers before they, they do anything like that. They turned up uh, quite a bit of information on, on Margaret Vinegar, who was the daughter of Peter Vinegar. Peter Vinegar was one of the men who were lynched. And actually, Margaret Vinegar was in the jail along with him and survived the lynching by a vote of one of the lynch, men, lynch, lynch mob. Uh, else why she would have also been lynched that day, and there would be four names out there on that marker. Uh, the entire incident began with a, 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 a 40-some-year-old white man uh, sexually assaulting uh, Margaret. And uh, circumstances are not exactly clear on what happened, but the man who, uh, who did the deed uh, was, was killed. He, he died, and uh, uh, the two young black men, uh, friends of Margaret Vinegar, one was her boyfriend, uh, were uh, charged with his murder. Uh, uh, Peter Vinegar, uh, the father, the two young men were living with the Vinegar family at the time, and so he was arrested too. And as was, was uh, Margaret, because the, 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 it was charged that she was a seductress and she had lured the, uh, the man down to the river uh, to be assaulted and murdered uh, and robbed and assaulted and murdered by those uh, the, the two young young black men, uh, which is very not very unlikely to be the truth. But that's what she was uh, charged with, and as I said, she barely missed the, uh, being lynched. Uh, after that, she was put on trial twice uh, for murder. She was eventually convicted and uh, was sentenced at one time to death, but the, 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 that was changed to life in prison and she uh, was sent to Lansing Prison. Uh, I forgot to mention she was 14 years old at the time. 
and unfortunately uh, she succumbed to tuberculosis when she was 20 and died. Uh, we don't have any idea what happened to her body, whether it was buried in the prison yard, whether it was taken to another cemetery in Leavenworth or Lansing, we have no idea. As far as we know, her body is lost to, to history. Uh, but her story is important enough because it, it shows uh, that the black experience in the United States and in Lawrence was not just violence against not just certain kinds of violence, but also included sexual violence that was not acknowledged and has rarely been acknowledged now. And the, uh, the purpose of this marker, which the EJI specifically suggested that we do, we, we did not apply for this marker. They wanted us to apply for it because of the compelling nature of the story. And we were more than willing to agree to that. And that started the process. Uh, they were so anxious that they actually went ahead and had the marker fabricated before we even got approval on it. And uh, it came last year, and uh, I believe it's still waiting in a crate and it's being stored in the Grover barn right now uh, until it can be installed. Uh, we intend, uh, if everything goes right, if the commission tonight approves it and the city commission approves it in time for the parks and rec uh, men to uh, install it, uh, the intent is to have the dedication on June 10th uh, this year, which would be the, the first anniversary of the uh, installation of the lynching marker and the 141st anniversary of the lynching uh, in Lawrence. That's a synopsis of what it is. You, you, have, other, you have other descriptions in, the, uh, in your packet. Do I have any questions that I could answer? Chair Meyer, I don't, I don't think so, Carrie. The um, information we were provided was pretty detailed, I think. Okay. Thank you for considering it. Thank you. Is there any public comment on this item? Yeah, um, I'm Chris Flowers, and I just had a, a few, I, I, I'm okay with uh, the memorial. Um, what I have kind of a problem with is saying that, um, saying that this David Bosman committed sexual assault um, with, we don't know for sure, like, is, isn't in America you're guilty or you're innocent till proven guilty? And I'm okay with the, the memorial, but saying this guy committed rape when we don't know for sure, um, I, I, kind of, I kind of have a problem with that. And um, I have no problem with saying that that sis did not get a, a fair trial and that she deserves a memorial. I, that's not what I, I'm trying to suggest or anything like that. Um, also, the, the part about, um, I, I'm just reading what I saw in the Times that um, who sexual uh, who sexual assault by David Bosman, a white farmer, led to the man's death, and I don't necessarily agree with that because I don't. I think what led to the man's death was being beaten by the two guys. Like, did Ralph Yarl in Kansas City um, was he shot because he went to the wrong house, or was he shot because some asshole shot him with a gun? You know. So I kind and and here's the thing: it's not popular to say, but rape is 
Jews don't deserve to be beaten to death. And I, I don't want this memorial to be like suggesting it was okay for the guy to be beaten to death because they found him raping him. Like, did they have to? Be, well, okay, they kind of did have to beat him to death back then because they wouldn't have received a fair trial. So I kind of understand that, but at the same time, it's I like today if if two guys find someone having sex with their sister and she says oh he's raping me and they beat him to death would we say oh well we should just let those two go free like should they not have quit before beating him before he died you know and also just when it comes to saying someone committed rape just based on someone else saying it. Do you all think Albert Wilson committed rape? Uh, I don't know if you all follow that trial, but that was the past few years. And I, when that just made me think of that, you know, like I don't think just because someone says it, it happened. But so I'm just wondering if there's any way we could make this so we're not condemn it like I don't think we should be mentioning the guy's name at all like if we don't know for sure he committed rape because I mean it, can, can we get the same message across without getting personal with the rapist thank you thank you is there any other public comment the saver counter planning staff it doesn't look like there's anyone via zoom wanting to provide comment Okay, this is Chair Meyer again. Then we'll bring it back to the commission for discussion. If I'm mistaken, I'm sitting here looking at the signs. The signs don't name names, right? Correct. Is that right, Carrie? I mean, it just says that she was. It doesn't say who it was. The history mm -hmm. around it mentions about Right. But the sign itself is not. Lynn, I have a question in terms of procedure. For our approval, do we are we allowed to consider the content of the sign or simply its appropriateness in the content? context is that within our purview to even yes consider? it is within your purview um, normally you would uh, have your operative this would go to the marker committee where they would work with the applicant on text to make sure um, that it's meeting all the requirements and uh, verifying historic accuracy that marker committee would come and make a recommendation to the Full Historic Resources Commission, which would have the opportunity to comment on text, as well as the location and the style of marker. Thank you. Again, my understanding is that the Equal Justice uh, Initiative went ahead and wrote the text and, and had it fabricated and sent here. So um, unfortunately, we don't have the luxury of, of having any um, prior opportunity to uh, talk about the text, I mean, to, to change it, if we wanted to, is my understanding. <clears throat> this is Commissioner Haynes. Um, 
At my uh, place of work, we had an exhibit up about the uh, lynching uh, in on the anniversary, on the 140th anniversary. Um, and it's my understanding from what I remember of the um, items that were on display for the exhibit that the fact that um, Margaret was uh, sexually assaulted is pretty amply documented in uh, newspaper accounts and other accounts of the time. I don't think that that is really um, un like disputed. Mm -hmm. That's all. Sure. Is it possible to make one more public comment? Yes, it is. This is Chair Meyer. You can come up and make public comment. Uh, Austin Turney. I'm just here sort of as long-term research related to uh, the historic Samuel Riggs house I live in. But I can't resist, resist saying something about this. Um, I've done a lot of history stuff and aware of the process of making markers and things like that. And in markers and more general commemorations, you sort of have to do the best you can with history given reasonable documentation. You can't say your standard is that everything has to be absolutely proven or your markers for like the battlefield at Shiloh would be some Confederates were here somewhere and did something and there were some Union people over there who did something else. And then the marker sort of dissolves into being a meaningless thing. So you have to, you know, you have to be reasonable about what, uh, what you can prove and verify. So. Chair Mayor, thank you. <coughs> Uh, I'll just say, I mean, I've reviewed the language of the sign. I don't, I don't have any objections to the language of the sign. I think the sign is looks fine to me. So I would, because I would make a motion that we approve the historic marker and location. Is there a second? I would second that, Commissioner Klein. Thank you. There's been a motion and a second, so we'll go ahead and take a roll call vote. Commissioner Johnson. Commissioner Johnson, yes. Commissioner Ezell. Commissioner Zell, aye. Commissioner Klein? Aye. Commissioner Coleman? Aye. Commissioner Hawley? Aye. Commissioner Haynes? Aye. Commissioner Meyer is an aye, so that motion carries seven to zero. Um, Lynn, I just had a question. The next public hearing item that we have is the Chapter 22 revisions. I anticipate that may take a while potentially um i was just wondering if we could if there were if there were folks that were here regarding the miscellaneous items for the three special use permits if we could maybe take those out of order it's up to the chair if you want to you always have the ability to reorder your agenda great words i like to hear words i like to hear <laughs> I just didn't want, I didn't want people who might be here for the special use permits to have to wait a considerable period of time potentially for that. So I think I, then I will take it out of order and take up the miscellaneous items. Um, the first miscellaneous item, number one, is receiving the plans for SUP-23-00123, which is uh, for the development of a maintenance building for the Douglas County Fairgrounds. 
Commissioners, you have these three um, special use permits on your agenda this evening. Chapter 22 affords the Historic Resources Commission the opportunity to comment on special use permits that affect properties that are listed in the Lawrence Register either individually as a district or in the environs of one of those listed properties. Um, the three SUPs you see here this evening are all in the environs of properties that are listed in the Lawrence Register. The closest one is the Douglas County Fairgrounds, which um, the landmark um, property is actually on the fairgrounds as well. So I would be happy to try to answer any questions you may have. You do not have to comment, but you are allowed the opportunity to comment if you so choose. Mrs. Chairmeyer, thank you. Is there any public comment on any of these special use permits? This is Avery Kerner, planning staff. It doesn't look like there's anyone virtually to provide comment. All right, well then I didn't have to worry about anybody waiting apparently. Um, I personally have reviewed them all and I, I don't have any objection to the special use permits. I feel the same way in that regard. Um, I was a little bit concerned about um, the 947 New Hampshire, but as it, um, um, the SUP is for um, rezoning it as limited manufacturing, so it looks like, again, a smaller space. They're not planning on doing, you know, thousands of barrels of beer. <laughs> so. I wasn't sure if the special use permit for 1046 New Hampshire Street would, um, for the group home, would have any, um, there would be any objections to that, but I haven't heard of any, um, uh, nor has Mr. Schneider who's been running it through. Um, so, not that that would sway me one way or the other. I just, it all seems to be very quiet. Mm-hmm. So, do commissioners have any other comments on these special use permits? Mm, no. Last call? No. Well, all right then. Um, we will move back to our public hearing items and take up chapter 22 revision. So you had in your packet um, a draft document that tries to take in all the public comment that we've had so far on the revisions to Chapter 22, um, plus the items that you've already discussed as a commission, and then some new items that need to be discussed this evening um, before you direct staff for the final document, which should come back to you in May, hopefully, unless you have lots of changes for staff tonight. But hopefully we'll go through tonight and get everything done. Um, in the memo, it noted that 
the text in red are questions that the commission needs to consider this evening. Um, the text in blue were items that um, came from public comment, and then the text in green were items that you've already discussed and directed staff to change or update. So we'll just, if at the pleasure of the commission, I'll just go through and, and uh, talk to you a little bit about the changes, and you can take public comment at the end, or you can stop me along the way if you want to take public comment as we move forward. Um, I'll just take your direction on that. Uh, yes. So uh, again, I had um, written my tome to you back in January, um, and you uh, did share that with the commission at th the last March meeting, and I was hoping that commissioners had a chance to look at that um, because I would like to bring up some of the um, a few of the points that you and I discussed at that meeting, um, and I was uh, hurriedly trying to compare what didn't didn't make it into the green text, I guess, or the red or the blue or whatever. I, I brought my color-coded pens. Um, uh, and then I also had a question for Commissioner uh, Johnson on whether or not you had an opportunity to uh, add your questions as well, because I hadn't seen anything in, in writing, uh, unless you were going to raise the questions uh, today. Um, this is Commissioner Johnson. I, I met with, uh, with Lynn Zollner and went through all of my my questions and and she's incorporated those into here. So. Oh, okay, great. And Commissioner Klein, I tried to get all of your comments in there too. I know there were a couple of items that you wanted to discuss, and so as we get to that point, um, I'll if you'll just stop me and we can have that discussion as we go along. Okay, so you want to go at, like in the order of the uh, of the chapter. We'll the start chapter. with general okay. provisions. Um, the first question staff had was for the purpose statement for the Historic Resources Code. Um, it has items A through G listed, and the question was, does this include all of the purposes of the chapter, or are there other things we need to be considering as the Historic Resources Commission for the his conservation of historic resources chapter, the purpose of that chapter? Well, and this is Commissioner Johnson. I, it is kind of interesting that we just had the historical marker that was commemorating a dark time in Lawrence's history. And if you look at these, these purposes, it's very much um, fostering civic pride in the beauty and noble accomplishments <laughs> and, you know, improving the value of property and, it, and it, enhancing the for visitors and shoppers it doesn't actually talk about um, coming to terms with things in our past that we do need to learn from and be better about and so I'm I haven't I don't have any specific language there but it, it does kind of seem like this is very rah-rah booster and let's be very proud of our history when maybe part of it is recognizing that we could be, be better than the past. I don't know how others feel about that. Well, you we're under surveys and inventory, correct? 
No, we're under general provisions. Um, Article one. We just Article barely one. got started. Okay, well, <laughs> yeah. page I'm three of page. 104. <laughs> I know. I'm completely on the wrong page. <laughs> I feel like we need 12 desks out here <laughs> to lay out to see what I'm looking at. Mr. Chair Margini, if you need to, you can just go down there with the microphone and spread it on the whole table. You know, I mm -hmm. might do that. Mm -hmm. um, I would agree with you, uh, Commissioner Johnson. Um, I just I'm looking for the the wording. It does say we're encouraging the studying, studying interpretation and publicizing of historic resources and historical information. Well, this is Chair Meyer. I also think that the paragraph A, where we're, I mean, conserving characteristics and other resources which represent essential elements of, you know, blah, blah, blah history. I mean, I think that sort of incorporates it. Mm -hmm. But one of you may be a better wordsmith than me, so. Well, I mean, this is Commissioner Johnson. Uh, I don't know whether any anybody else would agree or not, but there, it could be that under B, fostering civic pride in the beauty, beauty and noble accomplishments of the past and also the reflection on. Um, or recognizing. Recog yeah, a reflection on or re recognizing all components of the past. Yeah, something. Yeah, man. Yeah, there there is a way of saying that. Um, I believe the mission of the um, community. I I wish Carrie was still here. Um, I believe the mission of the uh, community remembrance project says something to the effect of confronting our past. You know, yeah, um, yeah, and 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 rectifying, you know, or working toward, you know, working to change systemic racism mm -hmm. is right. the, yeah. the language. Um, <clears throat> this is Chair Meyer, and I, I, I don't, I don't want to be discouraging at all. I just, you know, it's the conservation of historic resources code. So I, I think that's why the language is focused as it is, rather than a broader sense of history. So maybe you could squeeze it in under one of these other subparagraphs. Because we are talking about the built environment and not, as you say, the, the full history of the region, correct? Well, but wouldn't this also include the the boulder that Shenandoah? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. part of what's happening with it is coming to terms with that it was taken um, from its rightful place with indigenous peoples and and put on display as a conquering mm -hmm. uh, trophy, and now it's being returned. 
So maybe staff could come up with some language to put either under A or B that would um, include um, this sentiment. Again, we don't want to erase the past. We want to confront it, to recognize it, to acknowledge it, um, and to rectify the wrongs that have been committed against people. Yeah, I, I just think there should be something to, to indicate that it isn't just all civic pride and beauty is why we're doing this. Yep. It's, it's also to honor our, our history and to learn from it. Yeah, I agree. Okay. So yeah, there's page two. <laughs> Mr. Marlin, maybe you can work on that and bring it back next time? Yes. Okay. Any All other right. purposes that anybody wants to bring up? Not me. No. The next thing staff had identified was um, the duties of the commission. There are a couple pages of those. Um, and the question similar to the one that we just answered were, are there others that should be here um, as far as duties of the commission? Um, one of the questions that I had asked of you, um, um, Administrator Zollner was um, when and how does the HRC conduct an ongoing survey and you had said that it's um, it's up to grants that like when a grant happens then someone is hired and again coming at this document as an as a complete novice you know I thought oh I didn't know we do surveys you know and I was wondering when the survey happens how it happens and apparently it doesn't always happen so um, I just wanted some clarification about that um, or if, I don't know if anyone else needed clarification on that as well or not. One of the things that we've done in the past was come up with a survey plan. We did that as part of the historic preservation plan back in the 90s. It's the hope that once we get through the revisions to Chapter 22 that the commission will come up with a work plan and part of that will be to identify a survey plan of properties that need to be surveyed for the historic significance. So that's something that hopefully hmm. will be coming along. But right now we do um, historic resources surveys when we can get grants for them usually that's based on neighborhood interest or it's a neighborhood um, where we know we have historic resources that are threatened and we try to get those surveyed we just completed a survey for the Barker neighborhood and um, that is all that information has been uploaded into the Kansas Historic Resources Inventory Database and is available. Um, right now we're going through and checking details on that so all of those um, properties are not available to the public yet but they will be. Um, the survey includes um, field work where you actually take photographs. There's some research done not a whole lot because it's a reconnaissance survey and it's mainly for architecture and then if um, if there there's broader history that ties into our multiple property thematic nomination form 
that the survey goes with. And so hopefully in the future, some of that survey information can help us with National Register Historic Districts. That'd be great. Mr. Chairman, the short answer is, I don't know what else could be in there. There's 23 paragraphs. Mm -hmm. So anybody else has got something that's not covered? We'll move on then. Um, I brought this one to your attention. The survey section of the code changed pretty significantly. I included what was in the old code. Let's see. Is in red is what is in the existing code right now. Then under surveys and the black text is what the proposed is. Um, we haven't talked about this before. But staff just wanted to bring it to your attention since it was, there was a lot of change there to see if there's something um, that was in the old text that should be incorporated into the new text or if the new survey section, um, which is based on the State Historic Preservation Office documentation system is sufficient. Um, and what was the rationale for excluding the old section A and B? Just to try to be more concise and use the survey information from the State Historic Preservation Office. A lot of this language is left from when the code was initially drafted. You'll see that throughout the um, existing chapter 22 where it says the commission will establish design guidelines. Well, they did establish design guidelines and those were later incorporated in. So some of this language um, reflects that initial ordinance where the commission was just getting started and um, what they needed to do. I think the revision is much cleaner and easier to understand and, and apply. Lynn, I did have one question on the old language. Item paragraph C3 with property owner potential objections to the classifications. Did do you view that as implicit in the revised language? I think so because you're not, you're just surveying the property. You're not making any recommendation for any type of action for it. Um, most people learn about the survey through public meetings. And if there are concerns about their house being surveyed, then they usually come out at a public meeting or we send out letters to property owners and they let us know that way as well. And um, my 18, 19 years here, I've never had anybody not want their house surveyed. So yeah. it's, it's probably going to happen now that I said that. <laughs> and then the inventory records change just so that um, we keep a detailed record, but we use the State Historic Preservation Office, um, their database system. So we don't duplicate efforts. It's all on that state system. 
Mr. Chair Meyer, so just circling back around, is everybody okay with not including the red language on nine and page nine and ten? Yes. 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 Okay. Although it's a little confusing because I actually see page nine, but then on the bottom it says page ten of one of four. So mm -hmm. hopefully no one will get confused mm -hmm. about what page I'm talking about. <laughs> I know that's uh, <laughs> when it got put into the packet. It numbers the pages of your packet. Mm-hmm. So the next question, um, is the old, this is on page 13 of the document, 14 of 104 of the PDF. Um, this changes a little bit to, um, Right now in chapter 22, you'll see it's not complicated, but it's um, fairly specific um, property owners that can um, consent or be opposed to a national register, I'm sorry, a Lawrence Register Historic District, and it's based on the number of properties in the proposed district. And what the draft is recommending that we use the National Register standard of just 51% of the owners of record of real property um, can protest the nomination, then the application may proceed only as, um, as a special application as defined later in the code. I know when we did the um, Johnson Block Historic District, it took um, lots of math to figure out how many property owners were there, how many um, break down into these categories and trying to figure out how many we needed. And from staff's perspective, just having a 51% across the board like the National Register does made the most sense. Are you, are you discussing 407? Or 401? hair-splitting question about the possibility of plural owners of record such as my wife and I are both owners of record of our house if we were a house divided would you we would each, each get a vote you would each get a vote the National Register um, the way that it's written in which this code would follow that would be the actual owners of property so you could cancel each other out <laughs> wouldn't happen. So any, Mr. Chair Meyer, any objections to the new language? 
or removal of the old language. <coughs> Not I. Commissioner Klein, are you all right with us moving on I'm, to the next one? I'm, I'm shuffling paper. Okay. <laughs> no, I just. I've I've been trying really really hard to study all the documents and and because I like to come prepared and in advance and know exactly what we're talking about and um, I'm still juggling paper and I I. Um, I did my best. Um, I, if, if no one else has objections to section 404, we're good. Okay. Then the rest of this chapter is the procedures for um, the submission and then what happens uh, once the submission is made. And then the public hearing before the Historic Resources Commission. Is there any on any of that? The, the next question that staff had was for the criteria for designation. <clears throat> I put the old criteria in um, red text. What staff did was take the criteria from the National Register of Historic Places criteria and put that in in place of the seven criteria, well, nine criteria that we had in the existing document. Um, so it's been reduced to five, and you'll notice some of them um, combined, and some of them are just worded separately. Um, but does the new language include all of the previous intent was staff's question to you. Well, this may or may not overlap with one of my concerns coming up in Article 7, I believe, um, or is it 5, um, having to do with um, how we identify um, historic places. Um, so identification uh, with person or persons who significantly contributed to the development of the community. <coughs> I think it's broad enough to include African Americans because we have quite a few African Americans who significantly contributed to this community even though they're, they might not have held, um, some, some did and did not hold public offices. Um, it kind of, it ties back to their homes, the fact that their homes were mostly vernacular styles and not the extravagant, you know, upper class, Queen Anne, Victorian homes that, that we have listed for most of the um, Lawrence Historic properties at present. So I think this language is okay as is. Well, and we have, right now, we have um, two National Register districts in East Lawrence. Both um, have vernacular architecture as forms and they're um, listed in the National Register of Historic Places. And then we had, um, back in 2010, the Lawrence Preservation Alliance 
helped um, nominate several properties that are vernacular architecture um, of both white and black property owners in East Lawrence. So we have several of those listed already and hope to continue that in the future. And you believe that precedent will allow that to continue? I think so, yes. Okay, because that was the one I saw that wasn't, I didn't know if it was completely covered. Number one, it's character, interest, or value as part of the development, heritage, or cultural characteristics of the community. So the heritage and cultural characteristics could be defined differently than uh, making a significant contribution or um, being a significant person. Okay, so maybe we want to add more. I think it would be nice to have that heritage and cultural reference in there. Although number three does talk about the city's culture or cultural location of the city. True. Do you want to add it or just have it in three or? See, I'm, that's what I'm confused about what's in red here. So is the red what's being cut? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so does one, two, three, four, five cover what the red? Yeah, because okay. I, I think there's a lot that needs to be kept. Well, yes. Well, the red repeats itself a lot. I think, but the, the thing about number one in the red versus number three in the black mm -hmm. is number one in the red is talking about the heritage or cultural characteristics of the community. And number three in black says the city's culture. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the city's culture might be one thing and there might be this segment that is smaller mm -hmm. and not, mm -hmm. it's, it's representative mm -hmm. of that little community and mm -hmm. not the whole city. Yep. Which I don't wanna lose that. Yep. Mm -hmm. So would you want to add that language from number one in to number three and just make that a little, clear that it's not just the city's culture, but include that language, yes. um, mm. heritage or cultural characteristics of the community, county, state, or nation. Okay. Yep. And just so you know, Lawrence was cutting edge with including cultural um, properties in their code. And as we continue to do that, many ordinances for local landmarks did not include cultural um, aspects of the community. So it's something we were told to add as we were going through preservation planning. And I'm like, got it. <laughs> Good. Jody. Yes. Would it be better to uh, change cultural characteristics to cultural histories? Might get mm. to mm. a little better. Yeah, that's a good idea. Could be, and, and make it more inclusive than just uh, color or race. Right. Yep. What was your word again? Cultural histories. Okay. Uh, plural. Uh, LPA is suggesting our, our own uh, mission statement to include cultural histories. 
Thank you, Dennis. Yeah. Okay, Mr. Chairmeyer, any other comment about page 19 of 104? Okay, we'll move on. And for staff, that brings us to Article 5. So is there anything in the first four articles that we've not talked about that you would like staff to look at or give direction to staff on? Um, I didn't have a chance to juggle like a fourth piece of paper. I just wanted to ask, has the... Has LPA's um, December letter that uh, they had, they asked to change the language in 501, 506, and 507, has that already happened? Is that in the, uh, this document today? That's in Article 5. Article 5, yes. yes. Uh, some of their language is already in there. <coughs> okay. Um, that's the green that you've already talked about at your last meeting. Okay, great. This is Chair Meyer. England. And your question was, does anybody have anything, does anybody have anything else about art, articles one through four that haven't been mentioned right now? I mean, we hit the, we hit the red spots, but does anybody have anything else that wasn't specifically mentioned in articles one through four before we hit article five? I think I'm good. Okay. All right. Okay. Take it away with Article 5. So Article 5, you spent a little time talking about this last month. Um, and you see in the green text was added language that you discussed that part of which was proposed by the Lawrence Preservation Alliance. Um, so just wanting to show you that text, what it looks like in the document. One of the things we didn't discuss um, when we were talking about certificates of approval is where you would be viewing that certificate from. We talked about the 250 feet. Um, not if it clips a property, the whole property is not in there. It would just be the structure or the footprint of the new addition. Um, we talked a bit about that, and so that um, language has been added. What we didn't talk about is what the public right of way is. The um, does that include alleys? The downtown design guidelines specifically say the public right of way includes alleys. So when staff was looking at this, um, staff kind of used that as a benchmark and said for this, the public right of way would include alleys, but that's something that the commission needs to discuss. For example, the pro project that you had last month for the garage over on New York Street, is that right? Um, if you don't include alleys as part of the public right of way, that project would not have been reviewed. Mr. Meyer, sounds like we need alleys. I agree. And then just double checking with you that the green is what you understood the changes that you requested staff to make last month represents 
um, what you had intended staff to do. Well, it's been, you're talking basically about the repetition of in whole or part within 250 feet of the landmark um, yes. of, or historic district, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mr. Chairman, I think it was. Anybody else disagree with that? So we'll move on to applications for certificate of approval. Um, part of the language notes that um, It does require a pre-submittal meeting, and staff's question is should there be language here to allow for projects that come in with the building permit not to have to have a pre-submittal. A lot of times we'll get a simple project in and we'll have more if this code goes through with administrative reviews that come in with the building permit. Um, they don't have a pre-submittal. It's a simple project. We can review it with the building permit and it moves on its merry way. Um, if you had to have a pre-submittal meeting for all of those projects, it would slow them down considerably. So should there be language here? Um, if, if the information is there that you don't have to do the pre-submittal for those administrative reviews. Does that make sense? Yes. Right, but again, my biggest concern was in, in regard to demolition permits. Um, and, um, and maybe I'm off topic here. Maybe that's coming up on something else later. Demolition permits um, would be full commission. They would not be administrative. So they would have to right. have all their documentation okay. and come to the full Historic Resources Commission. Okay. Mr. Chair Meyer, I would be in favor of what you just suggested. I don't think we need to slow, unnecessarily slow down projects. <clears throat> okay. And then I think um, number E was something I think that Commissioner Klein had mentioned that what should be included for a certificate of approval should um, include sufficient information to allow for the review and um, determination and it should include drawing site plan materials to be used and photographs and that's what we asked for on the application form that we currently have right because i right well this is out oh, i keep saying this is commissioner johnson we did that when we were all on Zoom, and so I'm in that habit. I don't know if I need to keep doing that or not, but um, but really, should should E just be that there's a complete application? I mean, do isn't that what it's saying? They should have a complete application, right? But it, it, the application form itself is a separate form, and I remember we talked about. You know, because I, I looked for it online, and it is online, and, but sometimes the link changes. But it's good to have that list of here's what the application includes, you know. Here, okay. Here's what's in it. So there's, it's like a checklist. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think it's very helpful to have that. 
Yeah, and that's where I had asked about the for demolition projects, but I guess that's coming up on another article, correct? This is Jeremiah, or the, yeah. And did you get sufficient feedback about yes. that? Okay. Thank you. All right, let's move on then. Then um, when I met with Commissioner Johnson, we discussed the under determination by the Historic Resources Commission in 22-504, which is on page 26 of 104 or 25 of the document. And it gave uh, 45 days um, to have a response to the applicant and the question came up was you have the ability to defer action on an item if you need additional information and you might not be able to meet that 45 days to have a final determination and so staff added language um, that you could defer for additional information or issue or deny. That's a good idea. Thank you, Commissioner Johnson. <laughs> it's always good to be able to to say we need more information. I, yes. I can't do it in 45 days. Right. <clears throat> then in 22-504, determination by historic resources administrator in context areas. We discussed this at your last meeting and staff put this language in for your consideration that staff would, the administrator would review all projects except for demolition, new construction, building additions greater than 20% of the existing building footprint or upper floor additions. Mm -hmm. Does that reflect what you directed staff? Yes. To do. So in 22, are we ready to move on? I'm sorry. I think so, yes. <laughs> in 22506, standards of review, um, we changed in the new code or the proposed code to use the Secretary of the Interior standards for properties that are listed individually or in a historic district that is different than what was in the previous code. And um, so staff would ask, if it's, are these the correct standards that we should be using for listed properties? Is that appropriate? And then there um, B in the context area, that's, well, I want you to read this for, um, this is what you directed staff last month based on a comment from Lawrence Preservation Alliance to um, add the presumption that the certificate of approval for a project within the context area shall be approved if it meets the standards for review and the design criteria in section 22-507. Does that capture the presumption clause that we discussed at the last meeting? Did we answer the first question first, or we answered? I took your silence to mean that you answered that okay. it was fine. <laughs> As well, you should if I'm not moving fast enough. I wasn't sure if you were no, asking we, we all can, the questions and we, then we were moving backwards. No, we could go back to the first one. What was the previous standard? I don't have the old yeah, version. It, um, if you look, let's see. 
I mean, the Secretary of the Interior standards are broader. I mean, aren't they? I mean, generally speaking, local ones are stricter. The way the existing code is written, the standards for review are actually not as stringent as the Secretary of the Interior standards. And so that's why staff was thinking for listed properties that we would want to use those more stringent standards and then have standards that um, still make sense but are not quite as stringent as the Secretary of the Interior standards for context areas. And Jay, let me answer your question. I may have to go back and pull that up. The red that's under C, I believe, they are similar to the existing standards in Chapter 22. Mm -hmm. And I guess my question for those was, are, are these too stringent? Do they do what's needed or should they be changed? But to first go back and make sure that the presumption clause, the way staff drafted that, is that okay? You may have said yes and I may have forgotten. Mrs. Jeremiah, yes. Okay. So now we're to the standards for context areas. Is that before or after design criteria? It's before, right before. Got it. Standards of review. And this is an instance where the red isn't something to be removed. Correct. It should have actually been blue. Blue. Okay. Oof. Sorry for that confusion. All right. Gotcha. <laughs> ah. Okay. I'm fine with them the way it is. Shall we move Anyone on? Anyone else? It looks good. Are we ready? So under design criteria in 22507, which is page 28 of 104, or page 27 in the document, um, this added including the alley to that right of way. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I like the idea of putting the drawings with each of the um, features. I think as opposed to there was a like a kind of a page that had it all together. 
Right, and Maybe. the drawings will be inserted with the, each individual criteria. We're getting yeah. all your feedback tonight, and then hopefully we'll be able to work with the architect that did the original <coughs> drawings and take the feedback that we had from the commission mm -hmm. um, a couple months ago and get more drawings that can go in with these design criteria. So under height, um, instead of accessory structures shall be significantly less than the height of the primary structure, staff um, at we had public comment that it should be 10% less than the height of the primary structure on the same side. I believe that was a suggestion from the Lawrence Preservation Alliance that staff is recommending as well. So, uh, Mrs. Chamara, is there a significance to 10% Does that come from somewhere? No, it it just to make it to, to I don't know. Is there a significance? I don't remember. Well, that was a very long meeting. I was I was. I don't know. That was the New Hampshire lofts. Was that the percent that came up at at that mm -hmm. meeting in regard to that project? I don't remember. Where's my memory too faded? I, I just we just threw that out there. You could say 15 percent or. <coughs> that number, if you wanted, and we're saying well, at least okay. at least that much. I mean, it could be at minimum. Yeah, I, I'm just I guess I'm just bringing it up because I don't want to just be making stuff up. I just don't know <laughs> if there's there's something that suggests that a certain percentage is appropriate as opposed to one that we're just pulling out of the air. So, I think it was just to. Um, give some specificity to instead of using significantly so that there was something um sure okay all right that, my question is answered that's all thank you and then, well and and i guess it should i mean right now it's just it's actually saying shall be 10 percent less than the height it could be it should be shall be at least ten percent. Mm -hmm. Okay, I just don't want because they, it could be more. Saying we're nine point nine nine percent, so take off that shingle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Thinner shingles. <laughs> Thinner yeah. shingles is the answer. Mm -hmm. Okay. <clears throat> so where are we at on that language? Should be no, no less than ten percent. Shall be at least ten percent less than. Is that what you suggested? It. I, I don't know if I like at least to, followed by less, but yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> it's like a double negative. Well, ten, uh, ten shall be ten percent, ten percent or more less than the height. <laughs> About no more than 90% of the height of <laughs> the primary structure. Right. Same thing. Yeah. yeah. Reverse. Yeah. Yeah. What was yeah. that again? No Is more. Is that where y'all want to go with? Because I'll write it down. No more than 90%. Or I don't know. Yeah. If we don't yeah. want to say less than. Yeah. It's yeah. the same math. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. 90% of. Than the, the height, height of, of the primary, primary structure, structure. 
then the blue language um, that's under new construction was language that we got from public comment and also from the Lawrence Preservation Alliance and just checking to make sure that that is reflective of what the Historic Resources Commission wants for new construction. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Then the green is indicating that we've looked at the drawings and I know we have um, some questions that we want to take up with the drawings. So oh. I just made those in green for now and then we'll bring the drawings back when they're available. Okay. Um, the sense of entry. There are some changes here recommended by staff based on commissioner comment. Um, we had some discussions about pedestrian entrances and um, having language that would help uh, not encourage front-facing garages on primary elevations. So there's some blue language here that staff would like direction on. If, if this makes sense, is there a way to make it more clear? Um, just trying to get a little feedback on that. That's a hard one because you want the project to respond to the historic property and how do you make it flexible enough to address all historic properties that are now and will be in the future nominated. Yeah, it's true. Not that I'm saying there might be a historic property with a garage on the front, but I'm not a fortune teller. So. I suppose if we look at it every five years, it'll take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> so would there be language that would be better than the, with the pedestrian entrance being the primary sense of entry? Well, and, and really, it, it is trying to get away from where a garage is the, is the focal point of the front of the house and making sure that it, that the 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 human entry door is the primary is what you see first and not a garage or or no entrance i guess which isn't really something you find in historic districts in Lawrence yeah, so does this apply, sorry, to context areas and yes. the property and the district? The context area is in the second paragraph. The historic districts are in the first paragraph. This is Chairman. I, I do want to make a comment generally when we're talking about some of this, which is as time goes by, we're getting newer historic districts they're not going to look like what they have been and what we've been reviewing so when we talk about entrances of whatnot those things may change as architectural styles change so you know i don't know maybe that means that we revisit this again in 15 years or whatever but um i just 
I don't, I don't want to get into a narrow mindset of what it means to be historic. I mean, historic in one area is one thing, and in another, it's another. So I, I just, some of this language seems to be narrowly tailored to a particular historic period. I guess I'm saying maybe we just need to think a little bit broader. That's what I was Because <clears throat> we will hopefully have surveys coming in um, with 1950s, 60s, 70s ranch mm -hmm. houses that will have... Um, garage front facing the street but not not like new construction where it's proud of the building those are usually in line right. with we, the front plane could we say consistent with the style of the property or the district something like that mm Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Mike Delaney, Madam Chair. I, I, uh, uh, I don't have a, a comment as much as a question. I'm not sure I understand the last sentence in either the context area um, discussion or the, the historic area. Um, uh, at least on my computer, it's reading pedestrian entrances should be proud of any other it yeah, and I didn't know it does say that. It means and I don't understand it either. <coughs> so if a term of art, I mean, an architect's term it's of art. It's a jargon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we can rephrase it no so that closer to the property. <coughs> common folk reading it understand what it means. I, I mean, got a gist, but like I figured it was misspelling jargon. <laughs> well, you may not really even need those last lines. More prominent or something like that. Yeah, or closer to the property line is what it means. So do that. we want to take out that last sentence or reword it or just rewording the crowd? Well, I, th I think part of what was just discussed, and I'm not quite sure how you do this or Anne Pat illustrates it, of if this section were revised to reflect the changing, ever-changing history, would proud that would just go away, right? If you were to broaden this, that it's sensitive to the context of the neighborhood. Okay. And a 70s garage or carport, <laughs> things change. Right. We're proud, I think, that statement would, and it's, if this whole section was were lightly revised, might just go away. Okay. That's a challenge to Lynn's owner to revise. <laughs> Anything else on the no. design criteria? Um, the next change would be under um, 3B for demolition permits. That was a recommended, I believe, at your last meeting, too, that the Historic Resources Administrator would not be reviewing demolition permits. It would just be the Historic Resources Commission. Right. Um, 
I'm trying to find, what number are we on? 506 or five, we're on 507. Okay. Um, and I'm looking for 507B6, which I'm not sure where it is. Um, the, the question I had um, about new construction projects, maybe we just covered it, I'm not sure. Um, as we know, the um, City Commission has a strategic plan um, that includes um, the goal of increasing affordable housing. And I was wondering if there's, I think I had it in 506B6, um, the possibility of adding um, a, phrase, a sentence that would say, quote, priority shall be given to new construction projects that increase affordable housing opportunities. Like I said, I'm trying to find that. that. And I think staff's concern with that is that we're dealing with the architecture, and just because it may be an affordable housing project, it should still have architectural standards um, that meet the historic resources standards of the code. Correct, and what I'm saying is to add the affordable housing priority to the construction style, you know, to, uh, to the criteria for all the construction style. That was mine. I think those are two different issues, and affordable housing is not the purview of this commission. Well, and that's that's why I was thinking that that it is the purview um, of this commission. Um, that, and again, because it's part of the the city the city commission's strategic plan, and I just think that we ought to be part of the solution and not part of the problem when it comes to affordable housing. Um, it, I, I was taking my cue from um, a, one of the a gentleman during um, one of the public hearings who you know raised that um, point, and I was looking for a place where it, where it would be appropriate because um, I'm thinking of an example a, a while back of someone who wanted to demolish property and to construct new property, and my concern. One of my concerns was that I felt that uh, that the new pro the new construction um, ought to include, an, you know, affordable housing criteria. Um, so I just I, wanted to bring that up. I guess I'm this this is Chair Meyer. I, I'm a little bit confused as to what you mean. Are you talking about like when we were discussing the apartments over on New Hampshire, like like requiring? certain cost controls or are you talking about the type of like if somebody wanted to infill a, a lot that got sold in Northwest Lawrence and make it three stories of low-income housing I guess so I guess I'm a little bit confused as to specifically what your thoughts are about that yeah I'm just trying to encourage <laughs> people who are constructing new spaces and the infill um, um, projects are exactly it, um, and just to encourage affordable housing. How do we define affordable housing? Well, I, I don't know if you want to mention um, for low income. I don't know if there's a different term now, instead of the the word, the the terminology of low income. So then, are you suggesting the standards and criteria would be lower? No, not at all. Not at all. I'm, I'm not. I'm not talking about the historical um, architectural styles. I'm talking about 
an additional feature of the new construction would address affordable housing that, that would that would make it a priority but we, again are you talking about making the the cost like if they they're in, like infill for example making it a sale price that is affordable to people or making a rental project that's affordable to people i mean i don't think our historic resources code can suggest to people how much to charge things <clears throat> well and i guess again i come from a people perspective more than a money perspective more than a market perspective so i'm i'm not going by a market perspective <laughs> I'm going by a human needs perspective. Well, I, I'll just say that human needs come up all the time when people want projects. And people will say, I, it's too much to rehab this house, or it's too much to rehab this accessory structure. I mean, everybody comes in and says that. So, I mean, I want to be careful what we're picking and choosing when we talk about needs. I mean, I, I, I don't think you and I are different in terms of right, wanting to yeah. have that accessibility. I'm just saying, I'm not sure how we put any reference to that in the code that's Like I said, I not where I found it, where I had <coughs> suggested it in the context here. I think I had it written down as 506, Standards for Review, 506B6. 506. 506. Under 506B. 22506 standards for review B it's gone <laughs> because the because C was B C was B is that what's going on here yeah we've already moved past 506 yeah we went that's what I thought I, I yeah. missed it here we are Now up to it is new demolition. Right, so maybe I'm looking at the new, okay, so there's C, one, two, okay, two, new construction and additions to the new construction shall be sensitive to and take account of special characteristics, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with all of the, the new construction um, Uh, language here. I'm just talking about adding the affordable housing phrase in there somehow. Okay. Are we moving on then to the demolition? I mean, we're in the demolition, right? We were talking about just the demolition of primary structures to HRC, and then we were moving on. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, under number four signage guidelines. Um, B, under number four, um, Commissioner Johnson suggested that it be compatible signs in the historic district or context area, and staff would recommend that change as well. Okie dokie. So that's all that staff had on Article 5, if you have anything else. Okay, so 50, have we hit 507 yet? Yes. Yes. We have. 507. Hey, Lynn. 
Yes. On that. A lot hinges on the word compatible. What is that? Would that allow in a super graphics from the 1800s on the take up the whole side of a warehouse building? Is that compatible? Well, it depends on if it's in a warehouse district, like the sign that's on the polar building, yeah. the painted sign that would be compatible. The um, new signage that they did on the Penn Street lofts, it, mm -hmm. they have murals on both ends of that new construction building, those would be compatible based on the polar sign on the polar building. It means what I thought it meant, then I just wanted to double check. <laughs> so in Article 6, there were no changes from um, the existing Chapter 22 proposed to be made for this new revision. I just wanted to point out how surprised I was when I found out from Lynn that no certificate of economic hardship has ever been given to anyone, ever. And the reason this article is here um, is for legal reasons. But no one's ever used it. And, and I just found it odd to have it in the document because I was thinking of um, folks who, I, I was thinking of, of examples of properties where um, pro a property had deteriorated in some way, shape, or form, like maybe the structural foundation, and the owners couldn't afford to you know, have a new foundation put in. So, but they could, if they knew about the certificate of economic hardship, they might be able to apply for it to help them pay for the structural foundation so that the house itself, the structure itself, wouldn't be so completely deteriorated to the point of demolition. So I just find it really ironic that there's a certificate of economic hardship that nobody uses. And well, they, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's okay, go ahead. It, that, you know, that it doesn't exist and, and that there's no um, place online to find a copy of it because it doesn't exist. Right. The certificate of economic hardship is really um, the primary time that it would be used would be for a demolition of an existing structure um, saying that they have to demolish it and they can't build back meeting historic standards because it would be an economic hardship on them financially. And so this is a remedy for that. They can go through this process um, to show their hardship so that they would not have to meet the standards when they rebuild. But see, I'm arguing that that step ought to happen before demolition. You know, that, it, that, that a certificate of economic hardship should help people fix the structural foundation before the house completely falls apart and has to be demolished. And you're saying it would happen for the demolition as opposed to previous to, of, of trying to prevent the, the structure from falling apart, from, from being demolition by neglect. Lynn, can you explain what the Certificate of Economic Hardship is? It is an alternative to the Certificate of Approval. So if for some reason going through the Certificate of Approval process is a financial burden or hardship on a applicant, they can choose to go through the Certificate of Economic Hardship process instead. And it, the um, information that's required for that certificate is in the um, chapter, and there's quite a bit of information there 
that they have to turn in as far as financial documents and estimates by licensed contractor, um, report from a qualified bonded person with a minimum of five years experience and rehabilitation. There's a lengthy list of things that they have to show that it is an economic hardship for them to have to meet the code. And Lynn, just to clarify my read, the certificate, it's an alternate approval mechanism. It is in no way a city grant to homeowners and could not be extended as such. It's just different rules in the case of demolition and rebuild, for example. Correct. It's an alternative path to take. Okay, any other questions then about Article 6? Okay, we'll move on to Article 7 then. If anybody has anything about that, there weren't any changes to that, so. Or Article 8 either. Then we'll move right along to Article 9. <clears throat> couple of little changes with Article 9 for the qualifications for the Historic Resources Administrator to add in urban planning with an emphasis in historic preservation is one of the um, backgrounds that the administrator can have. And then under B, some information that was submitted by the Lawrence Preservation Alliance um, to promptly seek to employ replacement possessing the qualifications set forth above and the city staff who best possesses those qualifications would be the replacement. Yeah. In case I ever decide to retire. Never. <laughs> um, there were no proposed changes to the incentive and easement section. Um, under emergency procedures, staff had a question that's in red. Um, when staff wrote this, it was in direct response to a couple of um, instances we had where there was demolition needed for a historic structure and there was no mechanism to review that demolition or approve that demolition prior to the next Historic Resources Commission meeting. So. This actually came from the city manager's office a couple years ago that we needed some outlet. Um, for example, it was an accessory structure um, within the environs of property listed in Pinckney. There was a sinkhole and the entire structure was about to collapse. It caused um, imminent danger. And there was no mechanism. The HRC had just met, so it would be another 30 days before the commission would meet again. But there was no mechanism to go ahead and approve that demolition. Um, so in that particular case, the city attorney had to draft a letter that the city manager signed explaining why that the demolition would move forward before the Historic Resources Commission took action. So this is in direct response to that happening a couple of times. The reason it's written for the administrator to do it is simply a time factor. Usually these come up pretty sudden and need, um, like the one I was mentioning, it happened overnight and needed to have something done really in the next couple of days um, to prevent damage. So um, 
having staff be able to go on site, make those determinations, and um, following this part of the code um, would be what staff would recommend. I just thought it would be helpful to have just one HRC um, commissioner, but that's fine. In, in addition to help out. I think it's utilized pretty rarely, so I'm okay with it as it is. Anyone else? <clears throat> All righty, here we are at Article 12. Okay, this is probably one of the most significant changes for the whole night. We talked a little bit about this in previous meetings, um, minimum maintenance requirements. What staff is proposing now is to take out all of the language that was proposed to be the minimum maintenance requirement and replace it um, with the defects as outlined in the adopted property maintenance code as amended in chapter 9 article 6 of the city code that takes all the public hearing away from the historic resources commission for looking at property maintenance issues or minimum maintenance requirements there is a b in there though um, if the Historic Resources Commission is made aware of the lack of reasonable care, maintenance, and upkeep, um, then they can contact the, report the defects to the code official of the city. The where interpret B is that the HRC is now responsible for observing and reporting um, properties that lack reasonable care and maintenance so it's sort of on a complaint basis that that it's more of a HRC responsibility now. Or am I misinterpreting the language? I believe the wording if the HRC is made aware. So that takes the onus off of the commission to police the city. Although it does say that if we're made aware of it, we shall report the yeah, defects. I was wondering if we could And so that. what does that mean? I start having people call me up at home telling me that there's, uh, re that there's a problem with upkeep and then I have a duty to report it. I don't know. Well, and it, it, this came up when we've had at least one meeting where uh, someone was showing us photos of an obviously deteriorated <laughs> um, building that violated the this maintenance code and the way it was written before it was it was like we were supposed to somehow investigate it and enforce the code instead of the code enforcement person doing it um, so yeah it, it I think the intention it wasn't to have it to where if somebody stopped us on a street and said, hey, look at that, then we report it. Um, it was to deal with that, the way the language was, was that we had to do it. I mean, like we were the code enforcement. Mm -hmm. Well, this is so, just a reporting thing. Yeah. I mean, make a report, not, I mean, we don't have any control over what happens with the report. I just, mm -hmm. yeah. 
So should shall be changed to may then? And be? Or do you need be at all? We don't, maybe don't need be. I don't know if we need it. My, the only thing is every project that comes before us in a lot of ways has to do with a lack of reasonable care and maintenance. So, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, so I don't, I don't know how that, I don't know the, what the context of that would come up. Well, it came up a couple of meetings ago when somebody was saying, oh, look, my neighbor tore that down without a demolition permit. I'm just saying they did it. And, and it was like, well, are we now having to report that? I'd probably just take it out. Okay. And is everyone okay with taking out all the rest of this and just having it refer back to the property maintenance code? I sat down with um, Brian Jimenez, who is the code official now, and we went through the property maintenance code and all the items that we have called out here in this chapter are in the property maintenance okay. code. Yeah. yeah, I think that would be better to be a little streamlined. <clears throat> then the last thing was the terminology let's see um, the context area reflects changes that you discussed at your last meeting that goes back to and touched touched in whole or in part by the radius so that language has been added And then it seems like there was another one. Um, does are, are we in? I'm sorry. Are, are we in Article 13 or 14? We are 14. 14. 14. Okay. Um, under object definitions, did we add brick streets and sidewalks? I believe that we did. Yes. Great. Mm -hmm. And I think think those are all the changes that staff wanted to bring forward. Jody? Yes. Going back to minimum maintenance requirements, it, or, uh, before contact areas no. were listed there. And I wanted to see if they're still uh, listed in the current document. Yeah. I yes. It's context areas as well, isn't it? Yes. Okay. Third line. That's one I maybe would like the commission to discuss a little bit. I, I have a concern of, uh, I don't think it was there previously. I might be wrong about that, Lynn. You know, the existing code right now is context areas in the minimum. No, it's not. Yeah. So that's adding something, and it's adding a potential burden to property owners who can't uh, apply for grants that somebody in a historic district could or mm -hmm. uh, participate in uh, tax credit programs. So um, I would think that removing context areas from the minimum maintenance requirement might be an appropriate course of action. 
Thank you, Dennis. Well, but didn't we just say that there's the minimum maintenance code applies to everybody? I mean, that all of those things were in property maintenance code? Yes. I mean, I have to do it, and I'm not in a historic district. So are we saying that minimum maintenance requirement has just A that says go look at Chapter 9, Article 6 of the City Code? Yes. Yes. Okay. Because everything that's under that is in the code for everybody to do. Okay. We're all supposed to maintain but our Dennis, are property. you recommending that the located in a context area gets slashed in A? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> That's what I was saying in the document previous, but maybe I'm not understanding where this uh, article stands right now. Maybe my concern isn't doesn't matter. But if it does, I don't think context area should be in, in, expressly included. Of course, neighbors of historic properties. If it's mentions in the context area, it would probably view that as a threat, just in practice. But that is a good point, though, regarding the property maintenance code. I mean, aren't we all supposed to be complying with the property maintenance code? Yeah, I mean. So really, we I'm may not need that. We may not really need that preamble there where it's talking about designated as a landmark located within an area designated as or located it's just it refers just refers straight to the property, property maintenance <laughs> yeah just go check out <laughs> chapter nine and we're saying that historic properties are not exempt from complying with the e exactly yeah it's, it's right. like you, the question i think is whether this adds something above and beyond what's already required because if it's not then it's just sort of reiterating it right, right. this is commissioner Dell. do we even need an article 12. <laughs> i think one of the reasons that staff had this in there and then um, with the language that's now proposed is that we do have people come in and say they can't meet the property maintenance code because their pro their property is historic and the historic won't allow them to meet the property maintenance code. And this is saying that these properties need to meet the property maintenance code. There are ways to help them make it maybe with the design guidelines, but mm -hmm. that they need to meet the property maintenance code. Okay, I'm fine with just leaving it as is. I don't, I don't. <clears throat> I appreciate the discussion and I would draw my <laughs> recommendation. No, I appreciate you pointing it out. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. 
All right, is that, is there more to this? Well, I just have one, one last question. It's about the, on page 49, page 50 of 104, endangered resource. Um, is that referenced anywhere? It is not referenced anywhere in the code. Because that, I think, is where the, the maintenance comes into play, is if it becomes an endangered resource. So is there something in the language that there needs to be a trigger for, aha, this is an endangered resource, and that means we need to do something? See, this is one of the points that I had brought up um, in my memo is that I don't know what year it was, but at some point we lost um, 732 Alabama, which is where Charles and Mary Langston lived. And I just remember being on a bus with um, a, a bunch of um, African Americans for the Quilt Convention. Just they were so devastated. You know, how come the house is gone, right? Um, and of course, no one knew. And so I guess what I'm saying is I would like to see us from this point on, point forward, um, make sure that we don't lose any more properties like that, mm -hmm. you know, where they become so endangered that they have to be demolished because, you know, we can't all pay attention to all the property and we don't even know what's going on inside the building. Like, you know, is it, are there cracks in the walls and is it falling over mm -hmm. um, at one point? I mean, we don't, we don't know until somebody, you know, comes to us and says, oh, I want to demolish this building because it's beyond repair and, and build a new whatever. Um, and, and I'm concerned that, well, what if that's Doc McWilliams' house? What if it's John W. Clark's house? What if it's uh, Dr. Fred Harvey's uh, house? You know, I don't want that to happen to those homes. Well, um, and that's where I think that if we, to utilize the, the minimum maintenance section, is, is having it to where it is referencing the other code. But then if, uh, if the, if the evaluation of the code enforcement officer is that this has become an endangered resource, the Historic Resources Commission should review the property or I start raising money to save it or what, I don't. Right, yeah. That, that, that then that gets referred to that fund that is mentioned in the code that city council needs to set up so that we have funding to stop endangered resources? Well, quite frankly, code enforcement needs to get on it. Yeah. Other than, you know, send me a letter when my fence blew down in a microburst mm -hmm. you know, 13 yeah. years ago because right. I hadn't moved it yeah. within 14 days. <laughs> so. Yeah, it seems like that what we need is something there with the minimum maintenance part, that the part that is important for historic resources is to find out if there's an, uh, an endangered resource and then that we're alerted to that. That seems to be what the minimum maintenance code should be talking about in particular for historic resources commission. But the question is, what are we going to do about it? Well, that's that's where I'm saying there's that other. I mean, we we have the bully pulpit, uh, and and the city council is 
it's has in the code where there's supposed to be an endowed like fund that we could maybe use for endangered resources if the fund was created and done like the code says it should be. We didn't talk about that part of the code, but it's in there. It's just there's no money in it. Right. Well, and this is, I can't remember which section, but, but I did mention that, that perhaps, you know, LPA, I mean, if, if there was an awareness that, let's say, Judge Clark's house is in danger of, you know, going down the tubes, um, that LPA and whoever else in the community, you know, if there could be some kind of a fundraising situation where it's the citizens who come together, you know, private folks who come together, do the fundraising and help the owner pay for the new foundation or whatever the heck it is, right, or the new roof or something, you know, so it stops leaking and we can at least, you know, um, stopgap something here if, if there isn't a city preservation fund right, per se, right. you know. Um, I would just like all of us, I mean, not, not just the HRC, but our community to be more proactive about that kind of thing. And, and if you don't know about it, then yeah. you don't know to be proactive. Exactly. But if right. it gets labeled as an endangered resource, right. then Mike, go ahead. the community can right. be proactive. Go ahead, Mike. Oh. In, in this connection, I'd, I'd like to pick up on a thread that uh, Lynn mentioned earlier. Uh, about the importance of the survey process. I mean, the way, the best way to preserve buildings and keep them from um, disappearing is to get them identified as historic structures, get them protected as part of a historic district or as an individual nomination, get the, the people that own them eligible for to use the tax credits and those sorts of things. And, and I can speak from my experience on the, on the um, Heritage Conservation Council that the county and the city has done this too over time, but the but the county has done this systematic effort to to survey every property in the rural area of the county to determine whether it might be potentially eligible for listing, and that's an ongoing process. I mean, it took 10 years to get uh, to get all of the townships in the county done. The city uh, has to do the same thing over time to 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 survey and resurvey areas to try to identify as many potentially eligible structures as possible, and then to, to ask uh, the folks in the community to help get those listed by helping to write nominations and doing those sorts of things. But this, the idea of a work plan when, when the, you know, when the, this regulatory framework is locked in, coming up with a work plan that, that identifies the areas that, uh, that the HRC believes to be um, you know, where the surveys ought to, uh, to recommence and those sorts of things is really um, ought to be at the top of the agenda. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Mike. Lynn, where, is the, where does our budget for the surveys come from? Is it uh, in the city, the city budget every year? Much of the cost of those surveys is, is uh, uh, eligible for grants from the State Historic Preservation Office. There is a matching requirement, uh, and that generally comes from, in the in the county's case, uh, money that goes to the HR or to the uh, to the HCC and is then used to, to pay its share. Um, but there is grant money available to assist in those uh, in those surveys. And that's how we did the Barker was with a grant from the State Historic Preservation Office. But you do have to have 40% match, but they will allow. 
um, staff time for in-kind match. So usually that's how we end up doing our matches with staff. And is there a goal to always have a survey going on or do you have targeted areas that you'll that's focus one on? of the things I hope we come up with as a commission to get that targeted survey plan of where we need to do surveys. Great. Other uh, jurisdictions I've seen have tied it to um, development and and um, building permit. No matter what the property is, they have to do a um, evaluation of significance. But I think that is a lot of red tape, and we're not San Francisco, mm. so <laughs> that is the other way I've seen it done. Mm. So I guess my next question would be, are we in a good place where staff can implement the changes that we've discussed this evening and bring this back in May in its final form? Um, and then it was suggested that we may want to put the final document back out for public comment. So we would do that for the month of May and then have you take action in June. Does that sound like a reasonable plan? Yes. 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 So you would take public comment on your June HRC meeting for the final draft. Perfect. And likely what staff will do for um, the May meeting will just have this as a consent item and you can make sure that all the changes have been made and feel free to pull it off of consent if we need to do another public hearing. Thank you, everyone. Yes, this is Chair Meyer. Are we are we done with the Chapter Twenty Two discussion now, Lynn? I'm done. If y'all are done. All right. Are there any other miscellaneous items? Okay. Then I we adjourn. Thank you. Thank you. Well, welcome aboard, <coughs> and thank you for so many people coming.